Hello and welcome to the Autos and Airways podcast. I am your host, Alex Shum. I am joined today by my good friend, Andrew Shahada. Uh, we go way back. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at Examined Media and also Examined Media on YouTube. He's a fellow car enthusiast, a good friend of mine, uh, and has some pretty cool cars of himself as well. So, Andrew, thank you so much for uh, coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Alex. I'm uh, excited to be here right now. Yeah, so we have some really cool stuff to discuss today. Uh, we're going to start off by doing the Cars and Bids segment. We each chose a couple cars that we like on Cars and Bids. Um, we're also going, Andrew would like to talk about uh, the new uh, Nissan Z compared to the new Toyota Supra and a direction that the Mercedes and BMW are taking into the future. You also had the privilege to drive the new Ferrari SF90, and I know you wanted to discuss that. Uh, and as well, we have some other things lined up. So let's uh, start off. Um, Luke, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, you know, some of your favorite cars and whatnot. Yeah, so I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, my first car was an Audi A3. And then last year, I ended up getting a 2019 Audi S4. And I've grown up just around cars my whole life. And uh, my father has a little collection. We very involved with the Ferrari club on the Ohio chapter. And um, I, I just spend most of my days uh, just researching cars and stuff and just consuming media and creating some of my own. Yeah, right on. I mean, you know, we've known each other a long time. I know you have a really cool collection uh, and you're a lot like me, like all day long. I just like look at stuff. What's the latest, you know, always looking at you know, car scoops, motor train, car and driver. What's the latest news coming out, following it all along. Um, so, yeah, it's a great introduction. So let's uh, go to the cars and bids segment. So, spoiler alert, we accidentally chose the same car. We chose the same car, and I'm going to let you take it. So what did you choose? So the car that we both chose, actually, was a 2013 Porsche 911 Carrera 4S. The thing that stands out about this car is that it has the aero kit, which is a very rare option on Porsches. You don't really right. see it. It's only offered on the Carrera. And um, it basically makes your Carrera look like a mini GT3. And I just, this car really stood out to me. I just love the, the black look. And it's a 4S. That's so just, yeah, that's what you want. You know, you get that launch control has the sport chrono pack. The S gives you the extra power. It's naturally aspirated. Yeah. It's a BDK. It's just a, a no hassle car that'll do anything you want it to. Right. And it's, um, and I'm actually going to be pulling this up to uh, screen share it. So the, it, it's an interesting spec on this car. So I share screen. So this is a, uh, car it's a, like you said it's a 13 um c4s with air kit and the main thing the air kit is this spoiler it does kind of it, it's 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 not quite gt3 but it's it's you know like you said it's a mini gt3 um yeah. it sold for i believe it was sixty nine thousand dollars, which is a pretty good price for one of these and it is higher mileage at 40 i believe forty six thousand. Um, you can definitely see the wear on it too. Yeah, you can. It needs a detail for sure. And, you know, it was used by someone that 
you know, it looks like someone used it as it should have been used as a Porsche. Go to the interior. It's kind of a boring color combination. Um, but it's still really cool to see an Arab kit. It's, it's, it's pretty rare. And one thing that kind of stuck out to me, we talked about this earlier, is that the fact that it has a CD changer. I mean, that is so 2003. <laughs> it has a six-disc CD changer, which is in. So I looked it up. You, you could get a CD changer on basically every Porsche up until the 2021 model year. They still offered it on the Cayenne, the Macan, the, the Panamera, which is just kind of insane. Um, so, yeah. So, the car I chose, I actually chose two. The one I'm going to talk a little bit more about is a 2014 Lotus Evora. But it's it's a very strangely optioned one. It's in burnt orange with a black interior. Nice color combination. But it has the IPS, which is an ISIN six-speed automatic. Um, yeah, that's not how a Lotus is supposed to be ordered. Whoever ordered that thing, I don't know, does not deserve to be driving around in a Lotus. Well, obviously, they don't have it anymore. But... That's a very strange um, car. I mean, you don't get a Lotus with a with with a six speed or with a six speed automatic. So let's uh, share my screen again. Very very professional here. So this this is it. Uh, it's not it's not the Avora S. So it's just the standard Avora. It has the three and a half liter Toyota V six. Um, it's 276 horsepower and 258 pound-feet of torque, uh, which in a car that light is more than enough. Still very fast. Um, it's a very interesting. I think this. I think the color combination is very cool. I like it a lot. I like the gray wheels. Um, inside, it's black. And it's, it's yeah, as you can see, it's 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 an automatic, which is just not right. Those seats. I mean, you can probably fit a four-year-old if you amputate all of their limbs. Like, you're not fit, you're not even fitting children in the back of that thing. No, that's just for insurance. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's the premium package, which gives you heated seats. Get this, a leather center armrest. <laughs> um, interior accent lighting, and also part of this package, a trunk-mounted cargo net. That's, I mean, come on, why is that an option? It's, 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 a, it's a net. Also has the tech package, which gives you a, an Alpine touchscreen head unit with navigation. Uh, and also cruise control. It has the IPS sport package, which is just a sport package for the automatic transmission. Um, that gives you a three-piece rear diffuser, uh, cross-drilled brake discs with red calipers, in a twin titanium exhaust, which I'm sure that sounds a lot better than, you know, your grandma's Camry, but again, it is a Lotus. Uh, it does have staggered wheels, um, 18s in the front, 19s in the back, it has the Recaro sports seats, which are really nice. Uh, but yeah, it's got the IPS transmission. IPS stands for intelligent precision shift, which I know for a fact that that transmission, it's the same one they use in Toyota's, it's not, 
great. It has no business being a sports car, and that person made their own choice, whoever bought that. It so, seems like they wanted the car to be something different than it actually is. Right. And the Avore is not like the full track. It's not in the lease, but it's still a – I actually had the chance to drive an Avore S, and I really, really liked it. It was a very different, very interesting car. Still comfortable enough to – I don't know if I daily it, but I could drive it to work on occasion. But it, it's, it's, it's just – it wasn't screwed together very well. And something that was interesting uh, – see if I can pull it up here under the documents here we go so assembly point norwich in norfolk england and it was imported to the u.s through norfolk virginia so it came out of norfolk and then entered norfolk circle yes yeah two very very different um, places so another car this one's really quick this is a car that's kind of special to me um for my European friends, you'll have no idea what the hell this is. For my Australian friends, you will know what it is. This is a 2016 Chevrolet SS. This one, this car, I don't GM was expecting to sell like 15,000 units a year. And it was on sale for four model years here in the US and they sold just over 12,000. They did not market this car whatsoever. Um, basically it's a full size rear wheel drive sedan. It's actually, uh, holding Commodore with the Chevrolet badge on it. And it is actually, it drives incredibly well. Um, it's pretty boring looking. It's, it's really not much of a looker. Um, this, this is it. It's in silver ice metallic with a jet black interior. Unfortunately, this one has the six speed automatic. You could get it with a six speed uh, Tremec TR6060, six speed manual. That's a really good transmission. Um, and it has all the stuff for performance cars. So it's got it's got the uh, LS3 engine, so it's the 6.2 liter, uh, naturally aspirated V8, 415 horsepower, the same number in torque. It has GM's uh, magnetic ride control, which is GM speak for uh, Magna Ride adaptive dampers, the best um, adapt adaptive dampers um, that you can get is Magna Ride. It's amazing in every car it's in. GM has pioneered it. It's the same. You know, this, this this has the same dampers as what Ferrari uses in this, you know, thing that looks like a rental car. Has a limited slip rear differential, dual mode exhaust. It's actually very well equipped. It has um, heated and ventilated leather seats, nine speaker Bose audio system, heads up display. It's got all the safety equipment. So, you know, lane departure warning, forward collision warning and all that. An eight-inch infotainment system with uh, navigation, and the thing is, they drive very well. Um, I actually have driven one of these, and to me, it felt a lot. This is a modern interpretation of an E39 M5. You wouldn't expect that. It looks boring, and the interior is not that nice, but it drives incredibly well. And it's a shame that they only sold it for a few years and no one bought it. So that will be the end of the cars and bids segment. So let's move on to, well, do you want to move on to the Supra versus the Z? Want to do, talk about yeah. that? So I'll let you, um, you know, start off with that. Yeah, so I wanted to bring this up. Um, when I first saw the introduction of the new Z, it, the first thing I thought of was the Supra, and I just got so upset at Toyota. 
and the way that they handled that release and the way that they developed that car compared to Nissan because there's no competition anymore. There's no incentive to buy a Supra instead of a Z at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think, you know, and I don't understand. Toyota is the, I think they are the biggest automaker in the world. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I still think they sell more cars than the Volkswagen. They're the biggest automaker in the world. And they say they don't, they cannot afford to develop a sports car on their own. So they need to partner with BMW. That's the biggest load of bullshit I've ever heard because that's just not true. They have the money. They have the capital to do that. They just didn't want to. And I know it's a low volume product. It's not going to make a lot of money, but they could have done that. And I think that was a mistake on Toyota's part. I think they could have done something interesting. And I, I like the new Supra. I've driven one. It was very good, but it just wasn't. It, it, it was a BMW and it didn't feel like anything else. It just felt like a BMW. But Nissan, it's a modified version of the old uh, the Z35. It's the 370Z. Um, it's a modified version of that platform. It's got the engine from the Infiniti Q50. Big one, six-speed, six-speed manual. Can't get that in a super. In a super. You can also get a nine-speed automatic in the Z, and it makes more power. And it's a, it's a hell of a lot cheaper. They haven't announced pricing on that, but they say it's going to start around 40 grand. And the six-cylinder Supra starts at like 53 or 54,000 US, somewhere in that range. Most yeah. And the other thing too is with the Toyota, you know, they did a great job recently with the GR86 and they put a lot of money into it. They were very firm on their stance that they wanted naturally aspirated driver's experience. Mm -hmm. And they had the manual in that car and everyone loves it so far. It seems like a really great, well-engineered car. And they're super supposed to be higher up, like more Toyota brand prestige, more driving dynamics, just a beefed up version of that. And they just sold it out to BMW. Yeah. And it, it really lost the heritage. And the Z, they really focused on that heritage. They saw how Toyota did that poorly and they you know remade their old car with the same um sort of design almost whether you like it or not and then just a similar idea behind what that car is supposed to be i, I agree 100 percent. i've watched all the reviews on the new gr86 and the new brz uh incredible and they i know kind of off topic they filled out or it doesn't have that dip in torque mid-range torque that the old one did you know what i'm talking about right yeah, I've seen the diagram. Yeah, have you driven one of those? No. I have, and I'll tell you what, that dip in torque is, it's really noticeable. I mean, it, it just feels like it loses everything. You need to keep revving it out, and it doesn't have all that, doesn't have a ton of power. But I like what they did by not turbocharging it, because that's not, that, that car's about handling, not speed. It's fast enough. It's still a quick car, but I think it's 228 horsepower, if I'm not mistaken, and that, that's enough. But yeah, I agree with you. I think, um, yeah, Toyota sold himself out to BMW. Uh, it's it's made by Magna, which is that auto contracting company, same company that makes the G-Class Mercedes. Mm -hmm. um, in, in, I, they built them in Austria. It's also a Jaguar I-Pace is uh, produced by them. JLR does not make the I-Pace, it's Magna. 
and it's got it's got the B58. It's a BMW engine. It's got the ZF eight-speed automatic, which is not BMW, but that's the best automatic in the world. Torque converter automatic in the world. Um, still BMW tuning. BMW suspension, not Toyota. They say they, you know, did all the chassis tuning and engine programming, and I, I don't believe that at all. All I believe is that they did the styling, and that was about it. And it's, it's unfortunate because Toyota, the LFA, was an amazing. Um, the GSF handles very well, and I'm actually very excited for the new IS500. That car is going to be really cool. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm just not, I'm really not so sure on, on the super anymore. It's, it's, it's pointless unless if they make a manual version, which is possible. There's a company in Texas that manual swapped a new super. I think that would change the uh, tables a little here, change the tides a little, sorry. Um, but this is the price difference even and for the power, yeah. power difference, price difference. That just really is a big difference that I've noticed. And I don't know how they can remedy that. And it's just, Nissan is just undercutting them so aggressively yeah. that even if they add a manual, they'll, the cars could, you know, let's just say they'd be equivalent performance-wise with the manual. I know there's a little horsepower difference, but let's just say they'd be about equivalent $10,000 difference then. So right. it's, just, it's still, it would be, too little too late i i agree and you know i think this is the beginning of the end for the supra uh there's no, there's no way in hell there's gonna be a you know a sixth generation supra it's not happening um i do still i'm holding out i do think a manual could happen later in the life cycle i'm not ruling that out yet and even toyota engineers are not really ruling that out We'll just need to see because I think you know it's like it's a life cycle. The car, there's all this hype, uh, and then it dies down a bit, and then it dies down some more, and then they'll facelift it, they'll add new features. Oh, let's put a manual in, and then the hype comes back up, and then it goes down, and it's either going to be discontinued completely or given a new generation, which for a super is pretty unlikely at this point, based on what the world's going to. There's also rumors that they're going to put the M3 powertrain in the Supra. I don't know what the update on that is, but that was something I heard a couple months ago. That would be interesting. I, I actually haven't the chance to drive um, the new M3 and also the M4 competition. That engine's very good. It's I think it's the yeah. S58 in that. S58, yeah. That's, uh, I was actually very surprised at the difference between the two. Um, I was not expecting the competition to be as noticeably sharper in basically every dimension than the base M3 with the 60. But again, kind of going off topic a bit here. Well, actually not. Let's uh, leading into our next one. Going to the next one. So the direction that BMW and Mercedes are going. I don't know how you feel on this, but look at my face. Like, what on earth are they doing? I mean, yeah. How do you let you you uh, start off with this, and then I'll give you my two cents. Yeah. So the thing that is upsetting me the most with BMW is their styling, I would say. Um, and then there's also 
I mean, I don't, I, you guys already know what that, what I'm talking about. The grills and everything and their electric cars, they're doubling down on the grills that shouldn't be there in the first place. There's no reason for it in the electric cars. Actually, and then, their electric cars do need cooling. They don't need a massive grill, but they do, they're necessary. Yeah, the way, the way they have it designed, it looks very, like it's very little functionality in that application. Um, I think on like the i4 they have coming out and then BMW is also like fighting itself with its marketing. The M cars, their marketing is trashing electric and then the electric car marketing is trashing M and the brand is like hurting itself with that. Um, so I guess we could start with just BMW first, but I'm really not liking the way they're going. Yeah, so there's a couple of things with that. So what's interesting is that like uh, Audi has announced that their current generation of ICE cars or ICE or internal combustion engines is going to be their last. Mm-hmm. BMW is still very committed to ICE, which thank you, BMW. That's, that's awesome, but they're still pushing heavily toward electrification. Everyone is. And Audi said basically once their current engines reach the end of their life cycles, it, it's EV. That's, that's all they're going to do. It's unfortunate, but we, I could, we could talk all day about you know how EVs are not as good as ICE cars in many ways, but also they're, you know, I've driven, there are electric cars that I do genuinely really like. Everything from Tesla yeah. to dog shit. I don't care. Everyone knows my opinion on that. A to B, they're fine. They're not bad cars, but as performance cars, they suck. Um, but with the BMW, it, yeah, I, I just don't know what, what they're doing. I mean, design, well, I, had a, I was having a conversation. I have a friend in England. Um, you know, she knows a lot about BMWs. I'm not really going to say a whole lot about her, but she was she doesn't understand why they're looking like this and i don't understand why i remember seeing an article a few months back where the head of design for bmw it was said that they did a study and only 20 percent of the people liked the way the new m3 and m4 looked and he was taking that he was like bragging about that like no dude that's not something you brag about that's that tells you you need to go back to the drawing board what you need to do is you need to take that design throw it in the garbage and start all over and I think that's a shame because I think the new M3 is a very good looking car everywhere apart from the front. In the weird like fender, it doesn't like the door that isn't like flush with the fender. That's weird. But other than that, I think it's a really good looking car. And again, I was talking to my friend and, you know, we were like, what? what? I made the joke saying this guy must hate BMW. And she was like, yeah, I don't understand why they look like this. Why these cars look like this. And then I like looked this guy up. He's like, oh, he's Dutch. So he was on drugs. That's why they look like that. Um, uh, if you're, if you know who you are, I'm talking about, if you're, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. I'll just leave it at that. Um, but no, they're, they're horrible. I mean, the interiors, BMW interiors have looked the same forever. They're so, nice. They're, they're nice. They're, I, I like iDrive, um, but they need to do something. They need, they need to make differentiate themselves. Like Audi, I think is doing a really good job. And, you know, everyone's a little bit different. Mercedes, BMW, it's all the same. Just take a seven series and 
not really, the core BMW is the three series. The core Mercedes is the S class. And so everything is based on a three series and BMW and everything's based on an S and Mercedes. So I guess with that, let's move over to Mercedes. Because yeah. EQ, I think that's probably what you're going to be talking about here. EQ. They, they made it look like a bubble. I mean, I don't, I, I see that, let's say it has a great, yeah, it looks like your mouse, yeah. I mean, let's say it has a, a really great drag coefficient. It's super, um, you know, efficient with that regard. It just doesn't look right. It doesn't look like a car. And I don't see the point to make it look like that. And it, it's really just confusing to me, honestly. Um, the design there is, is not looking great. The electric G-Wagon looks okay. But, yeah, but what is it? In the in the little box on the back of it, instead of a tire, the box is so strange. That's like the um on the Defender. So you, yeah, you guys that know me know that I drive a I have a twenty twenty one Land Rover Defender. Um, I did not get the external side mounted storage box, which everyone in the Defender Facebook group calls the lunch box because that's literally what it is. Because it looks so stupid. When when you put it on, you cannot see out of your mirror because it takes up so much space and the mirrors are kind of narrow. And if you're like, a, if you go camping all the time or if you need extra storage, I get it, but it's stupid. And on the Mercedes EQG, they basically put that on the back where the tire would be. I mean, it's an electric car. If you're going to use it for off-roading, you're still going to need a spare tire. Yeah, electric cars still have tires. I, I don't see the point in removing that. They don't have square wheels on the car. It's, it's, it's silly. And, and they're pushing heavily, I mean, Mercedes is pushing heavily toward electrification. I mean, the, the whole EQ brand, it was first the, was it the E, it was the EQC, the SUV. Yeah, it's, and they canceled that launch, actually, when yeah. it was going to come out. It was so bad, they, they removed it from the lineup in the U.S. And so our first EQ product is the EQS. Yeah. We still get like the E now. They're EQ boost engines. Um, you know, That's great. They do. I will admit, Mercedes does mild hybrid better than anyone right now. Because they. So when I was getting my Defender, my original plan, I was going to get the P400, which is the straight six mild hybrid. Because um, I was coming from an LR4 or Discovery 4 for my international friends that had a V8, and I really didn't want to, you know, lose with power. Uh, and I did not like the way that car drove, specifically in the Defender, because, you know, you have that little electric motor that powers that electric supercharger, and you're supposed to have instant torque. Well, you put, you floor the P400 Defender, it's dead under like 1500 RPM, just getting up there. And then it's power all the way up the red line. And I ultimately ended up going with the four-cylinder turbo. Yes, it has a little bit of turbo lag, but I'd rather have that than absolutely nothing under like 1,500 RPM. Oh, uses that. Basically, you it spools up that supercharger, so you basically have a ton of torque. And I think it starts at around 100 RPM. So you always have power with those. And they're so smooth in the way they do with power as well. And stuff like that is, is, I really like those engines. Um, 
I'm sure you're familiar with the new, the upcoming uh, C63 AMG. Yeah. So I saw a render of it. I think it looks incredible. The design's great. I love the way AMGs look, to be honest. The current gen especially it just looks so aggressive. It has such just a, they, they put a lot on the car, but it, I don't think it ever goes too far. It never looks like too much. And it looks like a really great OEM design. But the four cylinder, I mean, would I own one? Maybe, but is it not what I, it's not what I'm hoping for. It's not what I wanted. It's not what we're used to. And this new four cylinder they have, the AMG four cylinder has a lot of like controversy around it. Some people love it. Oh, it's so fast. It has so much torque, but the sound is just not there at all. And if you still have an ICE engine, you might as well have a lot of sound. Otherwise it should just be full, of, full electric is my opinion. And also the, I mean, that engine's been around the previous generation CLA had it, CLA 45, and they, they, they do not hold up very well. You have all that power in a two liter. That's a lot of stress on an engine. Yeah. Hold up well. And I'm, I'm interested, you know, I apparently, Rumors that I've heard and that I've read. So it's the new plug-in hybrid four-cylinder. It's going to have over, according to some sources, over 600 horsepower, which that's, this is going to be controversial, but that's too much power for a car that size. I think yeah. 500 in the M3 is, is too much. Um, and also it's a four-cylinder plug-in hybrid performance car. Plugs are for butts, not AMGs. Secondly, it's just, that's just not it's AMG. They're all they're all about loud V8s. They're German muscle cars, is what they are. Yeah, and that is just kind of going against everything that they've all. That's going against their heritage. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my dad used to have a 2018 C63 sedan. I loved that car. It was it was almost like with a rear wheel drive. If, it was a little uh, rowdy for just like a daily driver sedan. And that even had less power than the S's, but it was just amazing. And the sound was incredible. And you really like felt so connected to that car when you're driving it, it handled just so well, I loved it. And then we decided to get something that was more practical, which ended up being an E63 S sedan. And that car had its completely different personality that car was all about just putting down raw power, no matter, like you could floor that car, any temperature, any RPM, any surface, and it would just put the power down. You wouldn't slip one bit. So it was very different than the C63. So the C63 is going to feel a lot more like the E63 and you're going to lose that nimble rear wheel drive, you know, rowdy driver's car. Yeah, I'm like I said, we won't know until it comes out and it's going to be very soon. But it's it's just not going to be the same, and you know, no one does turbocharged V8s like AMG. They sound incredible. They perform incredibly well. They're very responsive engines. I mean, I'm not a fan of the BMW V8s. Like I don't think they sound that well. Um, they're they're very fast. Um, what I would have speaking of kind of cars this size, like this small, you know, M3 C60. I would have loved to see a Jaguar XE SVR, not the Project 8, but give me an XE with the 510 horsepower tune of the five liter. Yeah, just like a, 
a, a street version of that car. Yeah. yeah. That would have been so cool because that thing handled better than anything. I've not driven a Julia. I think that probably handles better, but not by much. Um, just as good as the old Cadillac ATS, that thing handled incredibly well. The interior was garbage. The interior was so appalling. I didn't even want to be, I, don't, I didn't even want to touch it. It was so bad. But I've driven an ATSV, and that is, in terms of just driving, my favorite car in that segment. And I'm very excited for the new CT4 because it's finally nice and it's still going to handle well. That car looks incredible. The styling, they nailed it, and the engine sounds great, and it just seems so fast and engaging. So, the CT4? Yeah. The, yeah. That's, um, yeah, Cadillac, and this is their, again, kind of going back to all this electrification stuff. This is Cadillac's last ICE V cars. The CT4 V Blackwing and the CT5 V Blackwing. And they went out in the bang. They went so let's um let's uh i'm gonna turn it over to you pretty much for the whole for this whole next segment of the sf90 yeah so what happened was uh, i was at a ferrari challenge event in indianapolis and i saw like a little email and it said we're doing test drives for the f8 sf90 the roma etc so i called ferrari north america i said can i sign up for an sf90 test drive they said, sure, no one signed up yet. What day do you want? What time? And, you know, my face lit up. I was like, I was like you're joking, right? Like, it was surreal to hear that. So I signed up for uh, a one o'clock time slot. I got there, gave them my license. They gave me the keys. I had an instructor with me. And we took the car out on the streets of Indianapolis by the speedway. Um, so first impressions when I sat down were, it, it felt incredibly high quality the interior was very like the leather was very taut in that car the screens were great um they kind of changed a lot of things up so it wasn't like just sit down and go the buttons felt kind of different um it, i had to like press things a couple times to figure out how i was supposed to press it it's kind of strange um but the seating position was was great and it felt like a big car. So I don't know if the dimensions are bigger than the F8. I want to say they are. It, it really did like feel like a big car on the road. And as I started driving off, um, it felt so smooth with the electric underneath the V8, the low speed. And uh, um, once we took it out, it just, it was so comfortable. I mean, the roads there were just so shit. I mean, there's no surface to drive on. You know, and I believe that has the Magneride shocks. Yeah, it does. Magneride shocks that are with, with no electric current through it so it can move freely. Yeah, and, and I was in the second stiffest mode. So I'm sure there's a big jump to the last mode, but it was so comfortable on those roads. It, I was just shocked by that initially. And then the power delivery was ridiculous. Um, like it has so much electric power that like you can't even go down to like second gear and, and just even give it half gas because it has a thousand horsepower. So I noticed it was like too fast. Seriously, it was too fast for the road. Um, yeah. Is that the fastest car you've driven? Uh, I, yeah, until I drive, I mean, it's almost on par with the Plaid. Like from like a quarter mile, it's almost on par with the Plaid. 
I know the plaid's a little faster, I think. Or I, I think the plaid's a little faster, but it was by far the fastest car I've driven. I know for me, the fastest car I've driven was a 991.2 Turbo S. And that thing felt, I mean, but that thing was also very much, it was much more controllable. You didn't, you know, you put your foot down, you're going to jail, but you, you don't really have to do that. It's just like any other 911. And I am going to be, hopefully soon, be driving the Plaid. And I yeah. know that, that thing is way too fast for the road. And the pricing of it is very expensive, but not unreasonable, which means idiots are going to get into that. A lot of people are going to buy that car. A lot of people are going to crash it, and I guarantee you people are going to die from it. And the other thing is, the yoke is a fucking joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, this yeah. is not yeah. working. Yeah, so the steering in the SF90 felt very light. Like, it was almost like a video game. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was pretty light, and you felt so many vibrations through the car because on that platform versus the F8, the engine is so much lower. Like you look down, the engine's basically on the floor of the car. Through You can see through the uh, glass. And then the visibility was so poor out the back because there's no rear window. It's that slanted um, uh, plastic panel. The I think it's like plexiglass or, or something like that. So you barely see anything out the back and you like hear the turbos and you're like blowing off as you let off from behind you. It's such a crazy experience. Like it really was a lot more engaging, like sound wise than people made it out to be in their reviews of it. So you, you really felt a lot of sound from just the car, like vibrating or the exhaust or the turbos. It was really great. Kind of what I'm getting from this is that, even though it's got all this technology and even though it's very advanced, it's still a driver's car. Yeah. And the transmission was, it was the best transmission I felt ever. So they said it's like 30% quicker shifts than an F8. And you really noticed that you were just, just like, you didn't even notice any, I mean, it was like a video game, like seriously. And the way you look at the speedometer going up as you're driving is like a video game. Like cars don't do that. They don't go that fast, but that's what they do in a video game. That's the way the steering felt. That's the way the transmission felt. There was no perceptible lag for in anywhere, anywhere in the car. That's, that's impressive. I mean, 30% faster shifts than, than an F8. Yeah. And that's what Ferrari's latest version of the F1. Is it still called F1? Uh, I think it's called the F1 dual clutch. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly. And that thing's like already the fastest shifting dual clutch you can get. And I've never had the chance to drive a Ferrari. And I know it, that's what everyone says, like the best dual clutch is Ferrari. And then I said best is PDK. I've had the chance to drive a lot of Porsches. And I think PDK is incredible. I would yeah. always get a manual if, I, if, if that's an option. But PDK, I feel like on a track, PDK is probably faster if you leave it in automatic than if you shift it manually. Is it just oh, for sure. yeah. so quick and so, it's very smooth. Dual clutches aren't the smoothest, you know, in stop and go traffic. Um, PDK and Audi S-Tronic is pretty good. It's still not perfect because it, it's impossible to make it as smooth as a torque converter, but they do a really good job of that. Yeah, so actually my 
my first car was a dual clutch A3. And one of my biggest complaints with that car was coming to a stop, you would lurch forward every time as it downshifted. And my S4, they, this, from the B8 to the B9, they went from the dual clutch to the ZF8. And I was kind of like, oh, do I, do I want a torque converter? But I love that transmission. It's so much better than the dual clutch. It's just so comfortable. No, it, everyone says it, and I agree. So that is the best torque converter automatic in production. It's been in production yeah. about 10 years now. I think the first car that got it was the, correct me if I'm wrong, and I might correct myself later. I think it was the previous generation BMW 760 V12. I think that was the first car to get the ZF8 speed. Okay. And now yeah. it's an MHC. Every JLR product that's not a transverse engine, it's in every BMW that's not a transverse engine. Um, it's in the Audis that are with a lot of torque. Is that I know that some of their dual clutches just can't handle the torque. That, yeah, it's in most of the S and RS above like the S3. Right. Um, it is in, uh, it's in all the Alfa Romeos. It's in all the Maseratis. It's in all the Dodge Challengers and Chargers and Chrysler 300s and Grand Cherokees and Durangos and all of that. It's in all the Ram pickup trucks. It's a really good transmission. I mean, it's in the Rolls Royces. Mm -hmm. It's funny. A Ram 1500 pickup truck has the same transmission as a Rolls Royce fan. I mean, it, it's so versatile. I mean, I've driven so many cars with it from like the SVR that we used to have to my car to we used to have a Maserati Levante Trofeo. It feels completely different in every single car you drive it in. Uh, I haven't driven the RS6 yet, but they, you can put that transmission in any car, and as long as they put enough time into the coding of it, the tuning, it really like has that individual feel, and you don't feel like the, the, the cars don't feel the same, so it's really great. My, one of my best friends used to have a 340i, F30 340i. In that thing, it was lightning quick. My Defender, it's not the same. It's it's actually not that quick, like when you manually, but then it's not supposed to, it's not a performance car. It's much smoother and it's, uh, even like my mom's Discovery that has it, that thing will shift pretty quickly in my Defender. Mm -hmm. My dad's Audi Q7 is also kind of the same way. It doesn't shift as quickly as the Discovery in sport mode, but um, it's kind of more of a smoother, and, and that's the best thing about, like it's so versatile. It, it can be almost dual clutch quick when you want it to be, and that it can be a complete slush box when you want it to be. Yeah. It's just that dual personality that you don't get with really anything else. No other transmission. Yeah. And it's it's a great thing. And I, you know, I don't see that transmission going away anytime soon. And I know they just came out like an electrified version of that that can handle plug-in hybrid, mild hybrid. So that transmission a lot of time left yeah i mean i don't want anything else than that honestly at this point um, other than if, if i can't get a manual if i can't get a manual that's because it, it just does it lamborghini Urus has it yeah very different than than which i i don't know if, what how familiar you are with that but you know i know everything that's mlb evo platform from volkswagen so the RSQ8, the Urus, the Bentega, and the Cayenne. 
all drive a little different, but they're all pretty similar apart from the Aorus. The Aorus driver is very different from the rest of them. That's it's a Lamborghini. Yeah, uh, my neighbor has one. Uh, uh, I haven't been in one that's driving before, but I sat in it and took a look around. The interior is very similar to the Audi's with the screen setup, but the software and the switches are much different. And the engine sounds, I don't, it, I don't think it's the exhaust. I think it's the tuning of the engine. It has a way more aggressive, like, um, just like the way it revs is much sharper than the other ones. And it has much, a lot more burbles and everything. It just sounds a lot more Italian, I know, but, but um, it, it seems to be very differentiated from them. I think, you know, it'll be interesting now that, you know, you got the R6, which is awesome. I wonder how it would compare to that. So That's my dad and I, yeah, so my dad and I, we were comparing it to a Eurus because that was the alternative car that that's what we would have gotten instead we would have waited to get a urus um sometime this year if we didn't get the rs6 just because um we we saw the rsq8 we walked around it didn't really like it and then the other stuff is just so expensive that it's too close to the price of the urus that you might as well just get the urus and it seems like the rs6 is much more similar to the urus because it has that lower weight than uh, some of the other cars and it's just got that the same handling dynamics in theory just being lower to the ground and everything it's it's inherently more similar to the Urus than the other uh, Volkswagen products with the V8. Yeah I mean that kind of, speaking of that car I mean the RS6 everyone has been it was sold in the U.S. for one year 2003 it was sedan and then they dropped it everyone is begging Audi bring the RS6 Avant to the U.S., bring bring more wagons to the U.S. And they were like, no, no, no. And then, you know, we got well, the B8. We got the first few years is the normal Avant, and then they dropped it for the all-road. Yeah. And the B9, the only wagon we get is the all-road. And then, you know, there was a tweet I remember a couple of years ago, and it was like candle emojis in a circle, and then it said like Avant's in the U.S., and all this speculation came. I was like, oh, Audi's bringing something to the U.S. Well, they announced A6 All-Road, bringing that to the U.S. And also the RS6 will be available in the U.S. as a special special order-only car. Yeah. And everyone was happy. And apparently they are selling pretty well. And I know they're very limited, but they're selling. They're selling. So Audi, I don't know what the long-term... Um, outlook on that car is in the market here because the car that we purchased was supposed to be a special order with a special color like a bluish white and Audi canceled all special um, individual paint orders on the RS6 so you just can only get the colors they offer and that upset a lot of people and they're the production is like grinding to a halt now like there's just nothing coming in there were like nine cars for sale in the entire country new at the time that i got um the, at the time that i found that one and um there's a lot of used ones but there's not a lot of new ones so you know obviously right now the chip shortage that obviously has something to do with it um that's basically that's every car it's not just that it's everyone it's everyone yeah 
I know now, like if you want to order a Land Rover Discovery, you can order one right now. You're not getting it for a year. That's because they're shifting production more toward Defender and then the upcoming Range Rover that's going to be out very soon. Because not many people are buying Discoveries anymore. It's a shame because it's actually a really good car, even though it's a bit strange looking from the back. Um, but again, I think you know it's it it's really the RS6 is you know, we're finally we finally get it in. I have another one of my friends in England. She drove one recently, and she was like, "One day I'm gonna have one of these." So I mean, that, that's in a, like a goal car for me. But I know those at least in Europe. They're not limited. Anyone can go and get one. Here in the U.S., they're limited. And values are, I don't see those depreciating much, if at all. Yeah, so the, the way that I've seen the market is that, so the new ones, they have a gross vehicle weight of above 6,000 pounds, which means you can write it off as section 179. If they're used, you can't do that. So the new ones are like very highly valued because of that uh, tax write-off you can get and the used ones are basically selling for like five or 10 over MSRP basically. So um, I think they're gonna go up more sooner, so. I'm, I'm interested because I know for 20, I think it's 22. They're, I don't know if they're completely getting rid of the air ride in favor for steel springs with adaptive dampers or if, that standard and air ride is going to be an option. It was it was hard to interpret. I know what you're talking about. I saw the news articles about that. So the one that we got has the air ride, and that was a it, that would be a deal breaker if it had the steel springs because it's actually a very low car when you see it in person. It's it's so low, and obviously it's not an SUV, so you're going to scrape. And uh, the air ride, you know, it's really easy just to lift the suspension and pop up the curb. So if you didn't have that, that'd be a deal breaker. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, that, you know, hopefully it'll still be available. And if you have to pay extra for it, well, I'd rather spend a couple grand on air ride than scraping a bumper every other day. You know, it's yeah. um, fast wagons. If, I don't know if you want to talk about that real quick. Like, I love fast wagons. RS, RS6 is my current favorite, but also... The one that I promised myself I will own one day is a CTS V wagon with six speed. Not that nice of a car on the inside, not the best looking car ever, but supercharged 6.2 liter V8, LSA, 556 horsepower, six speed manual, rear wheel drive. The thing did almost 200 miles an hour. It never should have come out. Never. I mean, who bought that? Come on. Uh, sold it all of them to auto journalists that somehow managed to get a lot of money or went yeah. bankrupt. Yeah, that car's crazy. I love, I just love the CTSV and the history behind it. It's in, I know that they were, it, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s, they were, you know, we have BMW in our sights. It's the Germans, we're going after the Germans, we're going after the Germans. And that kind of backfired a little bit. Because they tried and they made these great handling cars, and that's where they spent all their money. The interiors were not that great. If you're going to go up against the Germans, you need to have a car that handles as well as them. It has an interior that is as nice as them. They handled great, but they didn't have the great interiors. And now they're kind of 
you know, their Cadillac's going through a renaissance now with all this push toward electrification, but, you know, the new CT4 is really nice, the new CT5 is nice, new Escalade, finally a car worthy of its price. And I think they kind of maybe should have did, done something like what Lincoln did, because Lincoln didn't really go after the Germans. They kind of went with, like, old-school American luxury, you know, handles like a barge, super soft, you know, but because Lincoln has no intentions to make a performance car or anything remotely somewhat sporty. No. But yeah, who knows? What, what, and actually, one last thing about that. So I saw, I was listening to a podcast a while back, and the guest on was Bob Lutz, the former vice chairman of GM. And he told uh, this this guy, it's actually the same YouTube guy, watch, that if the recession never happened, Pontiac, remember Pontiac? Oh, yeah. Pontiac was going to be a performance brand. They were going to go up against Dodge. And I don't, do you remember the old Pontiac G6? It was just a rebad Chevy Malibu that was like sporty. Yeah, I've seen them around a lot yeah. in the past. So, the next generation of that was going to be on the Alpha platform. So it was going to be based on the ATS, Cadillac ATS, and obviously the current Camaro. And it was going to go up against like the Dodge Charger, but be more of like a handling focus. That would have been so cool. Yeah, so one of my good friends from high school, um, his first car was like a Pontiac G6 hardtop convertible. I remember those. It, and it was like a pre-production model that his family got somehow through a friend that used to work there and um it, it was just like it was nice i mean i never felt like there was anything wrong with that car i loved it just it uh it would have been great to see how pontiac progressed past the point that they stopped at yeah it's a shame i mean you think you know we're gonna kind of start to wrap things up here but speaking of pontiac i do have a little um kind of rapid fire questions that I had that I'd be asking guests. Uh, the first one, the first question I'd like to ask, name a car company that is since gone defunct that you would like to bring back. And I think this kind of ties in perfectly with like Pontiac that we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, I would say Lancia. Well, there's Lancia is still technically around. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a piece of shit. Yeah, they used to make like rebadged Chryslers. I think like they had a in, in Italy a Chrysler 300, some Lancia, and then the town and country with badged as well. Like, ugh. bring back yeah. the Stratus, bring back the, the Delta and all that. But, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if we could see um, a modern American <laughs> market interpretation of that car, that would just be incredible. I know there's a guy um, I've seen on the internet called Automobili. Amos and he's working on a modern like full-fledged version of the Delta Integrale. I would just love to see that kind of like spirit in the cars especially the Stratos just um, something Italian like that. I mean I guess Alpha is doing a good job of, of kind of bringing that back now but I would love to see a uh, Lancia version of that in today's world especially an EV honestly that, that'd, be, that'd be cool EV. It would be, yeah I think it could totally like like a rally you know, maybe do like a kind of almost like like a because 
when you think of it, kind of a modern version of 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 like a Launchia Delta, you could kind of compare it to something like a Golf R or a WRX STI. The, the WRX, the new one, is kind of like that almost. Yeah, with the side, with the plastic cladding on the side, to make it look like a fucking crossover. Like, no, no. In the fact, yeah. you can still get it with a CVT. If, if you get a little rant here, so the new WRX, I think it, it, I don't think it's ugly. I think the side, you know, the black fenders is a bit strange. CVT needs to go. And the other thing that's so stupid, so you can get, they have a new like top of the line GT version that gives you like Recaro seats. It's the first uh, WRX ever to come with adaptive dampers. You can only get it with the CVT. Like, why are you giving us all the stuff we want and you have to get a CVT? No. No, no. It pisses me off. It truly, genuinely pisses me off. So I'm actually going to answer this as well. Car manufacturer I'd like to bring back, Saab. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, they were strange. GM made some questionable decisions under them, but they were so weird and quirky, and I really like that. They had character. Um, the car I saw a couple months ago, I freaked out. I saw a Saab 94X. Yeah. It was just a rebadged Cadillac SRX, but I, I think they only made like eight, I believe the number was 814 units before Saab went bankrupt. GM you know, basically shut it all down. And I know they got sold to Spiker, but then they went bankrupt right after that. But they, it's a long story, I won't get into that, but that is something I would have really liked to see. And the other thing is the next generation 9.3, there were pictures of that that came up online. Mm -hmm. I had designed that a guy by the name of Jason Castriota. He is the same guy that designed the Ferrari 599, Maserati Gran Turismo, and also, believe it or not, the new Ford Mach-E. Oh, really? So that's a very strange. I don't like the way it looks, but I've driven one, and I love the way it drives. That's an EV that I honestly, hand on heart, would pay money for. I feel the same way, actually, yeah. That car just seems great. The Mach-E, I mean, it's, that is what the Edge ST should have been. Because I've driven the Edge ST and it was objectively one of the worst cars I've ever driven. It was, it was garbage. I, I won't get into that. But the Mach-E, and I drove that thing and I, 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 I drove that thing back in like, April, I think it was April. And I'm still thinking about how great that car was. I don't like the way it looks. Yeah. I don't like the interior design. I hate that giant tacked on screen. But the interior felt every bit of fifty thousand dollar car. So the first Ford I was inside, I was like, "Wow, this is actually a nice place to be." And the GT is about to hit dealers, and I'm I'm gonna have to go back and test drive that because that that gets Magna ride, you get extra power, and it's gonna be even better. I would pay money for that car. But yes, so for me it'd be solved. I think I wonder what they'd be doing now. I know they got bought out by a Chinese company to make electric cars, and then they went bankrupt. I mean, Saab, Saab is literally a Saab story because they just can't make it. I know. So, a couple more questions. Uh, your dream car, um, like, like, what's your ultimate dream car? Well, after driving it, it has to be the SF90. Um, it took me 
a couple of weeks to like get used to driving my car again because it was just so fast and it just it felt like nothing else that I've driven I've driven you know other supercars and it just like changed my whole perceptive perception on like what driving is and that's that's my goal um we'll see if that ever happens but no, that's a great goal I mean it's it you know it's, it's a real supercar I mean it's truly and it's, it's a hypercar it's hyper, and it's not limited any yeah. anyone can go and buy it if they have the money yeah, Ferraris are, are a little tough to to nudge your way in to get an order for anything now. So they say it's not limited, but in practice, it, I'm sure you'd have to buy a Roma or two to actually get your order through. For me, um, it's it's honestly my favorite car of all time, and it's very much the car that I know in my lifetime is doable, uh, and. You might laugh at this, but it's it's a Jaguar F Type R. Um, oh no, I love those. I love those. It's not the best sports car in the world. Um, it handles very well. It's a very good sports car, but it's it's not nowhere near as good as a 911. Um, but whereas a 911 is a wonderful sports car, it doesn't have character. It's so good because it's so good at everything it does. The F Type is flawed. It's it's heavy. It's really heavy. Um, I made a joke to one of my friends. I was like, you know, JLR has invested heavily into aluminum technology to make cars lighter. I don't know what the hell aluminum is, but it's got to be one of the heaviest substances in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> that weighs 4,000 pounds, and it's not a big car. Um, but that is in the engine. I actually have driven a manual V6 F type. Really fun. Uh, manual, pretty good, not the best, but I could not get an F-Type without the V8, and I'd be willing to sacrifice that for the, it's the ZF 8-speed automatic, doesn't matter, best 8-speed ever. Yeah. Give me an F-Type R coupe in British Racing Green, tan interior, glass roof, Meridian surround sound system, and no carbon ceramic brakes, I don't want ceramic brakes, In my life will literally be complete. I'd be like, yeah. My ultimate garage is a Defender and an F-Type, and I'm already halfway there. I, I think you'll make that happen pretty soon. I don't doubt that. It's, it's definitely possible. So um, I think I know the answer to this next one. Uh, your car of the year, the best car you've driven this year. So I think... I, I Yeah, I mean, it has to be the SF90. Um, I haven't driven the 765 LT, that could probably be a close second if I'd driven it, but I don't really trust McLaren much. And I was just so shocked by the SF90 that it, it really, like, I didn't have high expectations going in. I thought it was going to be, um, I thought it wouldn't feel like a Ferrari, but it really did feel like a Ferrari because I drove an FF the same day um, that morning. And then I drove that, you know, we drove the Roma the day before. So um, it really was a shocking car to me and it's just a, a great milestone for ferrari yeah i'm just impressed that's their first ever like true plug-in hybrid besides the um raw ferrari yeah was that even technically a plug-in hybrid yeah yeah and I, don't, I don't count that that was limited oh uh for me this actually might surprise you tycon turbo okay it was i 
was going into it thinking, okay, this is going to be really good. It's a Porsche. They don't make garbage. Nothing they make. But I was truly shocked on how good that car was. Um, and it wasn't the turbo S, it was just the normal turbo. And I didn't drive it. I didn't have much time in it, but I was like, that car, I, that car got me this close to being an electric car convert. This, I couldn't do it, but it, it got me this close. Because first and foremost, it was a Porsche. First and foremost, it was a Porsche. And after that, you know, it just happened to be electric. It was great. So, all right, last two questions. Two more. Um, the most interesting slash weird car you've ever driven or experienced. Yeah, so I would say it's probably the Maserati Levante Trofeo. Um, so the one that uh, we owned was, it was Russo Magma, which is a Ferrari color. It looks exactly the same as the Ferrari color, same name. And it had 600 horsepower Ferrari V8. It was a cross plane crank version of the, you know, 488 engine that, that Ferrari uh, twin turbo V8 and it had the ZF8 speed and it was a Levante SUV but it was so rowdy I mean it would fishtail every time you punched it and it had this cool this Corsa mode and we had that car in Florida I would try and do like a u-turn and I'm like drifting down like three lanes of traffic like it was so touchy and just it, it it was like a Hellcat SUV. It was just crazy. It, and it had so much torque when you were like going at like higher speeds and you were going through like higher gears and so much torque through that. And it had like this super chirpy blow off valve on the turbos and it was just, but it we drove the dog around in it and it was a Skyhook SUV. It was, it was so strange. Personality, like it could be comfortable and it probably couldn't be quiet even if you wanted it to, right? Uh, actually, it, it, I mean, it was if you close the valves, yeah. And then it's the complete animal. Um, for me, I'd say the weirdest, kind of most strange car I've ever driven is a cross between, it's hard for me to choose between the Model 3 Performance because I I did not like that car. Yeah. It handle well. It was it looks like it was built by a bunch of four-year-old or baby apes. It was so bad. But in a strange way, I, it made sense. Like, I understand why people like it. It's got all these stupid gimmicks in it. But is a commuter car? Not bad at all. It was just kind of just really weird in how, how that was. And also Maki, because it's an SUV. It's a crossover that should not handle that well. And it's electric. Yeah. So the Mustang name on that means something. So um, last question. What, um, what is the car that's not sold here in the U.S. that really interests you and that you would really like to drive? Or yeah, let me think for a second. I kind of want to say Holden U. Oh, yeah. We can, those are possible. Just get a yeah. G8, like a total one, and you can buy like all of the stuff from Australia and import mm -hmm. 
afterwards and then we'll just snap right on. Yeah. Just, I, I just feel like that car is just so interesting to me that it looks like that and has that. I mean, I don't know. It, it just, it always stuck in my mind since I played like Forza Horizon 4 and they had it in there. I'm excited for five. The Defenders yeah. in it. I'll be able to drive my own car in a video game. That's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, for me, it was always the RS6. I can't say that anymore. Yeah. And I think um, right now, it's got to be the, um, or, uh, it's not a Renault, it's the Alpine A110. Oh, that car's crazy from what I hear. I've heard really good things about that. And I think that's, uh, I think it's, it's interesting. I think that could be a really, really cool car. Um, they'll never come here, unfortunately, but it's, it's a came in, but different. Just seems like it's uh, more smooth than just, I don't know, it, it, it feels more like a hatchback, but it has that form factor, that true form factor. I think, yeah, well, who knows, maybe one day. I, I, I'm going to England next year. Spending twenty three hundred dollars on a rental car—that's how much it is—and it's it's going to be a Skoda Octavia or similar, which is just a, it's it's basically you could say it's the equivalent of a Passat. Yeah. Uh, I really hope whatever I get, it's either that or something that's not sold here in the U.S. That's what I want to experience something new. So we're going to wrap this up here. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I hope you had a great time. Uh, if you want to you know, drop your Instagram and your YouTube again for everyone to go and follow you there. Yeah, so uh, my Instagram is at examined media and my YouTube, it, if you type in examined media, it'll show up. The channel is just called examined. Um, I also run the social media, the Instagram account for the Ferrari Club of America, Ohio chapter. So that's um, at Ferrari Club of America underscore Ohio. If you want to follow us there, uh, I'd love to interact with you on that account too. So it was really great having uh, this conversation with you today. And hopefully I'll be able to see you sometime soon in the coming months. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. Yes, and thank you so much for coming on. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this pod, this episode, and I will see you all in the next episode. Cheers. All right.